I'm Anna Barnard. And I'm Maria Ramsey. And you're listening to Never Wear Boring Socks. This week is an especially exciting episode because we're welcoming on our very first guest on the podcast. If you remember the first episode, we talked about the fact that we were going to have a guest on every fifth episode, and this is now the fifth episode. So this week's guest is my very dear friend, Monica Hunterhart, who I've known since middle school, and Anna and I are very excited to talk to her today and to add her perspective to the Neverwear Boring Socks family. So welcome to the podcast, Monica. Thank you so much for being our guest today. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate you inviting me on. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to chat with you guys. Yay. Thanks. So Anna, what socks are you wearing today? Well, I'm wearing a pair of socks that I believe Maria got me a couple years ago, and they are pineapple socks. Um, and I chose these socks because I ate a lot of good fruit today, and summer is ending, and it's kind of <laughs> end of pineapple season, so I'm celebrating that with some pineapple socks. Very <laughs> nice. I remember those socks. Yeah, I really like these socks. I also yeah yeah those are very cool socks mm-hmm. i also chose my socks kind of based on the season because they're like a dark eggplanty purple color which i feel like is a very fall color mm-hmm. but then they have these like bright pastel polka dots which like the colors of those make me think more of summer or spring so it's like fall socks with little spots of summer which is kind of how i'm feeling right now kind of in between the seasons. That's nice. what's going on Very in my nice. life. I like it. Should I also share Some... my, my socks? Yeah. What socks are you wearing, Monica? So I think to the average observer, they would appear to be boring socks, which is, you know, like <laughs> blasphemy. But um, I <laughs> do not. I would like to advocate for the idea that they are not actually boring socks. So they are, they are solid green. You know, they have no fun colors but they um they have very interesting padding (laughs) and they have a very interesting sort of like history for me because I chose them uh to travel to Indonesia with um because uh they're like this like sweat resistant thing and I was gonna like only be able to bring like a few pairs of socks and so I was like these socks have gotta you know be durable and like you know make it through my travels so um yeah, it's it's a it's a different type of of interesting perhaps. But nice. Uh, <laughs> I yeah, like I like too. that. You're getting creative. <laughs> Very nice. So Monica, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience a little bit? So who are you? Maybe how would you describe yourself to somebody who doesn't know you? Perhaps Anna, or perhaps one of our other <laughs> listeners. Cool. All right. Yeah. Um, I am a 24 year old aspiring journalist. Um, I guess I could, I could say journalist. Um, yes. And, 
I am a musician. I am a semi-recent Oberlin graduate. I lived for one year in Turkey pretty recently, teaching English at a university uh, to incoming students. So a lot of the things that I'm passionate about, I could kind of sum it up as like uh, music, international politics, um, social justice, uh, writing, creative activities, uh, and now I'm feeling like I'm going to keep going, so it's not it's not really a summary anymore, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's a good summary. Cool. That sounds like a good description. Yeah, that's awesome. Excellent. Yeah. Cool. And I forgot that you had gone to Indonesia, too, until you started talking about your socks, and then I, re- <laughs> I remembered that, too. So you've traveled yeah. to a few different places. Is there anywhere else you've been? Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been really lucky while I was in Turkey I got to I went around a bit in in Europe um, and uh, but the other kind of big thing I've done is uh, I went to Trinidad um, a few years ago because in college I played in a steel pan band um, so oh, steel that's pan awesome. is, a lot of people know it as a steel drum but yeah it's it's so awesome <laughs> it's uh for people who don't know it's it's literally a drum made out of steel um, the some of them are made out of oil drums and they all used to be made out of oil drums it's the i'm not sure if this is totally true but people say it's the only acoustic instrument created in the 20th century and it was uh invented in trinidad and they have this amazing festival every year um that's like you know super prestigious it's called panorama like steel pan panorama and it's big competition so one year i got to go with a group and we uh, competed and we didn't do well but it was really fun (laughs) That's really cool. That's really neat. Steel drums are so cool. That's awesome. <laughs> they, are. they are so great. <laughs> <laughs> so, Monica, do you feel like... I feel like traveling would be a good way to sort of grow a lot. And this is something that we were talking about on the podcast a lot, is growing up and sort of <laughs> the transition into adulthood. Do you feel like your experience traveling has helped you grow as a person or become more adult slash independent yeah that's an it's an interesting question you know I feel like there are many ways to travel you can travel comfortably you know and uh there's nothing wrong with that you know and um you can travel sort of maybe less comfortably and kind of trying to purposefully put yourself in situations that that feel new or um strange or uh discomfortable excuse me uncomfortable in in a variety of ways um so you know it i don't know and anyone who travels is uh you know has a lot of privilege to be able to do that too you know unless Mm -hmm. you are you know a forced migrant or a refugee or something but i i come from a position of privilege but um but i have been able to to use it to to grow in in my life um yeah, uh, in in Turkey, I think is probably the the best example of that. You know, because I had just graduated um, college and then I immediately went off and didn't really kind of do my post college freak out in mm-hmm. America. You know, I did it in Turkey, um, and so you know, oftentimes you're traveling in like a either a smaller group or alone. Um, and in my case, I had one other American that I was living with um, who was also a a newly graduated 
individual. So we got to commiserate about sort of what that felt like and kind of go through that transition together. But it's um, but we were also at the same time sort of experiencing the cultural isolation of it. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it was sort of a funny thing of, um, I mean, the two kind of circumstances informed each other, you know. Uh, but it was it was sort of funny going through those at the same time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, anytime you put yourself in a new situation, that's kind of forced growth. So if you, <laughs> it's almost like one of the best ways to kind of make yourself <laughs> grow, you know, like put yourself uh-huh. in a new environment. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if you guys if you guys have felt similarly or done similar things but yeah i like what you said about how discomfort allows you to grow up a lot i think that's super true i feel like whenever you're made to be uncomfortable and you have to deal with it on your own like you're inherently maturing as a person and Mm -hmm. like travel is a super uh good example of where that's gonna happen so I like I liked how you talked mm-hmm. about that. That was really interesting. Yeah. I also like that you mentioned the post college freak out. <laughs> <laughs> Not to don't worry I about that, Yana. Yeah, like that. you waste your <laughs> I'll brace myself, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, don't brace yourself yet, you know, like just <laughs> one step at a yeah, time. Right. Right. Enjoy college while you're there. Mm-hmm. But but it might be waiting for you. Yeah. On the other side. Oh, yeah. It might be. You know, some people maybe avoid it. I don't know. Yeah. How has that been for you, Monica? The post college freak out. <laughs> um. You know. Uh, you know. I think it. It definitely was. I think you know. In some ways, I think actually going away was helpful because there are so many other things to freak out about you know when you're in a totally new place and you don't know the language very well and uh you're trying to learn it and you're trying to do this new job and you're feeling isolated and trying to figure out like what cultural norms you are not following and then like adjust um Mm -hmm. so there were and gosh the political situation in turkey has gotten really turbulent over the last few years um so that was kind of able to like draw my focus (laughs) But, uh, I, yeah, I guess, you know, it's it's the hardest thing for me, I think, has been not being around peers in the same way that I was before, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, not having the sort of social opportunities um, at every kind of moment, you know? Not being able to just, like, walk and find your friends, you know, even though I, right now I'm in New York City and I do have some friends here, but it's a totally different thing not having them you know right next door it still takes maybe 45 minutes to an hour to see them and so you have to be much more sort of intentional about your time and you typically have less time to be social so that's just sort of an adjustment um learning how to either be happier with having less time with them or figuring out how to structure it the best or Mm -hmm. you know for some people maybe figuring out how to be happier alone more of the time which also is sort of a similar thing you might experience while traveling yeah for sure I don't know. What about what about you, Maria? Uh, <laughs> I've definitely experienced it. A lot of it, like you said, has been kind of social because you're used to being around your friends all the time. And I'm not in New York. I'm in a 
small town in Massachusetts, so I I see people when they're visiting, but it's not the same kind of like you can walk to your friends kind of community as college. So that's definitely been a huge adjustment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other aspect I think of that is the sort of career, what am I doing in the world part of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Trying to figure out like where your place is, what what kind of job you want to have, what kind of impact you want to have, and how to actually do the things that you want to do since you're in such a different situation now than you were in college. That's yeah. Really challenging. Yeah. In college, they, like, you know, if you're like, I want to save the world, the college is like, we want you to do that too. Here's some resources. Exactly. <laughs> Here's a club to join, and that'll, that'll help out a bit. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think those resources still exist to mm-hmm, some extent mm-hmm. outside of college, but you have to go looking for them. They're not, like, handed to you in a pamphlet on the first day of the school year. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Here's, here's a fair where you can literally just choose which group you want to join to make that impact. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Right. You have to be a little more proactive. Yeah. And there's no, like, mm-hmm, reinforcement mm-hmm. like there is when you're surrounded mm-hmm. by adult mentors and other peers. I mean, there's no, like, mm-hmm. yes, this is the logical next step. It's just, like, right. it's your turn to figure it out sort of right. thing. Yeah. Or, like, good job. Like, you've been doing, you've been doing a good thing, <laughs> so keep at it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is all fine, you know. It's I'm also curious to know, how do you think your location, since you've changed locations a couple of times, how do you think that has affected the creative work that you do, your writing and or the music that you're creating? Yeah. I mean, I think um, definitely it's changed the music that I've been surrounded by. So I'm, I'm yeah, that's, I, I like you, I, I like that you guys call yourselves sort of creative people. I, I like that kind of general label and I definitely identify with that as well but I think I'm primarily a musician and I do write songs so being in New York you're definitely I mean you have just access to a lot of music coming through Um, pretty much any sort of band that's on the more popular end of the (laughs) popularity scale in the states (laughs) is going to come through New York if they're touring you know so you you, uh, as long as you can get tickets you can see them and um, you're just kind of and I also had a Um, an internship writing in a music magazine in the fall so got exposure to a lot of really cool stuff this year Uh, so that's been kind of helpful I think just like hearing new things is one of the main ways that I get new inspiration like oh my god that person just was able to describe that feeling that I've had like is there a way that I could also kind of latch onto that or like maybe if I used that sort of like lyrical framework or uh, you know, why, why did that chord change affect me so much? Could I sort of do something similar? Um, but uh, Turkey was sort of interesting too because, uh, well, Turkey, I don't know, Turkey made me think about sad music in a totally new way. Um, Turkish music is really, Turkish music is amazing. You guys should totally <laughs> listen to it if you can sometime. You should send us some recommendations of some yeah. Turkish music. I don't. I wouldn't know where to start. Yeah. Well, you know, I actually, uh, not to be lame, but I did cue some up in case we wanted to play a small <laughs> Ooh, little snippet of nice. this podcast. I think we should. <laughs> we should um, either do that or link to it. Yeah. 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 Something yeah, definitely. That'd be great. Word. Um, 
so play it on the way out of the episode right well so um it's so the, the thing about turkish sad music is like it's so much so okay so here's what kind of sparked this for me it's like i i was having this i was hanging out with a friend um a turkish friend and we were talking about music and uh we were talking about music that really moved us you know and so we decided to play each other a song that was like the saddest song we could possibly think of you know and so he played me a bunch and i was like yeah man those are really sad like (laughs) i'm like really moved right now and then i played him my song which is like i pretty much can't listen to it without cheering up it's really good it's um it's called uh now you know by anais mitchell who is like an indie folk songwriter um she's really good uh so you should totally look up that song but um cool it's it's the lyrics of the song are really sad her voice is very um well so okay so he he basically i played this song for him and and he was just not moved (laughs) like just nothing (laughs) and he said something like uh yeah you know like the lyrics are really good but uh the song is just like whatever like no turk would listen to that and be moved <laughs> i'm just like what oh why how can you not like and i've played this for other people too and they've also had you know a similar reaction other americans so i was trying to figure out like what is the issue here like what's happening um and what i've kind of concluded after listening to like a lot of turkish music and you know growing up surrounded by american music is like uh that i, I feel like there's like this sort of difference so all turkish sad music is like really really dramatic right it kind of uses cues that i feel like we definitely understand in america like uh minor chords and sort of like you know like sweeping instrumental parts and like really kind of like uh full voices oftentimes you know like singers who aren't afraid to get like really emotional um and you really kind of need to be a good singer to pull off like a turkish song and you like don't necessarily need to be a good singer to like become popular in america you know um <laughs> and i feel like we have we have sort of we have like ballady kind of things too in america for sure you know like we have some pop ballads like adele um it's so and you know we have like musicals and operas are more like that and like the blues is definitely much more like that more sort of like openly kind of emotional and like and a little bit more dramatic maybe but uh but then we have all these other songs that are sort of more intentionally simple and like song like vocalists are trying to sound a little bit more vulnerable you know and you might not even have any minor chords and yet somehow we still get like this they still it still suggests sadness to us you know um and it's such a it's such a curious thing i'm not sure if it's like the lyrics or if there are like different like vocal signifiers that like we've learned culturally that like are just not a thing really as much in turkey um so i don't know that's it's really interesting isn't that yeah. interesting yeah I, I do have so i do have like 10 seconds of each clip if you wanted a little example yeah let's okay. do it cool okay so um so this is called um uh jamlun bashinda um that's the song name and this is a rendition by someone named Emel uh, Tashjolu. So I think you'll be able to hear it. Let's see. Okay, 
Okay, so, like, you can tell that's really sad, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, like, really moving, um, I think. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and the singer's super emotional, and it, like, is, uh, you know, 100% committing to that, and is, like, trying to convey all of that pain um, sort of more openly. And then you have, um, so Rolling Stone magazine in 2013 did, like, a, I think it was a reader's poll, um, you know, top 50 saddest songs or whatever, and they chose uh, Eric Clapton, Tears in Heaven. So here is just one... We'll snippet of that. That's also, like, I think that sounds super sad, you know? But his voice is, like, yeah, much same. sort of more weak and, like, vulnerable. Um, right. And he's kind of allowing, like, the words to speak for themselves a little bit, you know? Um, I think the main difference maybe is in, like, the vocal style. But also, like, there weren't really, like, they weren't using minor chords there either. And it just, no. it's just so crazy. <laughs> I'm still, like, working through all this and trying to figure out what it all means and like how you know but the how how our musical taste is culturally informed like that is super interesting to me it's so interesting yeah yeah that example is interesting because that tears in heaven like i find that such a sad song like you said like it makes me so emotional right but then i was i was thinking about it in this context like compared to maybe more like the song that you played before songs that like have more minor chords and more things that are generally associated with sad music and this like tears in heaven it it doesn't really sound i don't know i can kind of see it being like sort of a chill happy song right it's not at all exactly right i could see someone else who like if you maybe if you couldn't understand the lyrics or something or maybe if you like yeah, like, I could see a Turk, for example, like, listening to that and being like, oh, yeah, I know that sounds like a chill, like, relaxing, like, thing to have on in the background and yeah. just feel great about, like, but so it's is really... the lyrics, or is there something else in the music? It's very, very interesting. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure it all out. Um, but, uh, anyway, thanks for letting me nerd out about music for a second. I just love the opportunity to do that. So. Yeah. Yeah, that was, so that was really cool. Well, I want to talk a little bit about, too, how... I took um, music theory this past uh, my last semester of high school and we like had a couple conversations and we talked about the idea of like consonance and dissonance being like kind of culturally Mm. informed and how Hmm. like a lot of cultures Hmm. agree on the idea of consonance but like some definitely don't and some things just like Hmm. sound much more pleasant to certain cultures than other chord combinations do and I think that's really interesting right. as well yeah I know it totally yeah. is it totally is it I mean, is you have this, this interesting thing too where like there are some musicians who have become these sort of like global phenomenons you know and I, I guess Adele is one of them actually and you know Katy Perry is like another one of them um you know some of these people who are known all over the world and like have fans everywhere you know Katy Perry's like I don't know that's like a different kind of thing but like Adele's music like you can talk to people all over the world who um are moved by it you know so is that like 
it's probably not something inherent to her music it's probably more like western culture like infiltrating every corner of the world i guess and like sort of bringing its like teaching people its cultural signifiers or something like that but i don't know Hmm. right and is like there's something about adele's personality that's just uh kind of magnetic for people i mean i think Mm. like that plays into music somewhat as well besides just like the actual music that they turn out there's also the fact of like the identity of the person who makes the music and i think that probably has an effect on people's perceptions of it too yeah totally totally but that's really interesting i never really thought about that how certain musicians reach many cultures of the world despite where they're from right yeah yeah. Well, and that's interesting, Anna, when you were talking about the consonants versus dissonance and how that is not necessarily the same across cultures, that also made me think of, so for anyone listening who like has no idea what we're talking about with consonants and dissonance and this music theory <laughs> stuff, consonants basically is like things that sound pretty and dissonance is basically things that sound kind of weird together. Yeah, like, yucky. So, yeah. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> Um, but like I was thinking about even just over time in Western music, our ideas of consonants and dissonance have changed. Like there are certain sounds and intervals that hundreds of years ago people thought were like, you know, it's like the devil's sound, like the tritone. Right. right. <laughs> but now we use them all the time, mm-hmm. like in it, almost every single piece of music. There are tritones, which used to be, like, totally off-limits because they sounded so horrible. Well, another thing, too... So it's also a time Yeah, another thing is that... I know some people have done, like, scientific... Excuse me, scientific studies on why certain people get goosebumps during certain parts of songs. Whoa. And, like, the timing of it or whatever and, like, what makes people get goosebumps because, like, there you definitely have your songs that, like, there are moments in those songs where you, like, will get goosebumps without fail. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's just, like, why does that happen? Yeah. And, I, and people have, like, mm-hmm. studied this and I don't know what any results have turned out necessarily, but I think that's really interesting, too, because it just, like, overtakes you sometimes and you're like, well, why did it do that at that particular point? Yeah. I hope that, like... I don't know. So they're also doing, you know, like studies now about uh, how can we like there's a, there's definitely a danger to. Well, I don't know. You want you want there to be like an element of mystery, I guess, probably always in music. Like you, you never want to be able to reduce it to like a total complete mathematical formula. Oh, yeah. You know, you want to be able to like break it down so that you can like use the tools yourself um, if you want to make something or like, you know, better understand yourself and why you're moved by something or whatever it may be. But like there actually there's definitely like an extreme which I think some people are like embarking on right now, which is, you know, that who's that dude who made a symphony using a machine you know that he was just took. Oh, really yeah he wow. took it was some or not a machine but some sort of software some algorithm and he uh yeah they he managed to kind of like figure out you know like oh this kind of thing makes people respond in this way and like you know typically a symphony would like do this and then this and then this and uh people really like this set of chords so we'll do it here and like he he just created this algorithm that this algorithm that then made a symphony from scratch itself you know uh, some computer some device 
and uh, and then people listened to it and they really liked it. So honestly, that kind of freaks me out. Yeah, that's wow. scary. <laughs> I mean, it's cool, but like really scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because you think of music and art forms as being like so connected yeah, to the like human very right? that made them. Yes. Exactly. Yes. So that's that's crazy to think about the fact that maybe we don't even need that human for that emotional response anyway. And one of the things that I find so like one of the things that I love about music and why I'm so fascinated by it and art is the fact that it can evoke of emotional response mm-hmm. like that well fascinates i think you, you me. also yeah. associate it with almost like that person's sense of identity or like soul speaking to you through their whatever artistic product that they created like i think there's just this sense of connection even if you don't know who they are and like mm-hmm. if i'm listening to a symphony right. made by a machine it's like i can't really connect <laughs> to that machine in any sort of way right yeah. Yeah, that's a good that's point. That's a good point. I, I, I don't know if um, if these people who listened to the symphony and had this really great feeling about it, if they knew that it came from a machine or not, because that's I really do feel like that would totally influence right. how I understood something. Like, how would, it it be, would, how would your yeah. reaction be different? Yeah, that would be really interesting. Yeah, because I would definitely be, like, analyzing it throughout if I knew that it was a machine, being like, could a human have done that? Would a human have done that? Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe it is sort of, like... Yeah, that's fascinating. I guess, like, maybe I'm being too narrow-minded about this, you know? Like, I guess there are things that you could get from a machine being the one to create all of this, whether it's, like, you know, if, if, if we're ultimately trying to get the emotional response and, like, that's one of the purposes of art then like more music with more emotions to be felt like i guess could be good and then maybe a machine would come up with something that's too weird for a human to contemplate or something and like maybe they would inspire some sort of innovation that then we could follow i don't know like it could be a good yeah, supplement I don't know. you know as long as it doesn't like replace artists. right like i think it'd be interesting if that kind of technology would teach humans to innovate their music yeah that would be interesting but yeah i think the idea of that like being the only product like producer of music is very frightening (laughs) yeah i'm with you (laughs) yeah i think it's the replacement idea yeah right exactly like for us as creative people like like, what what do we do now (laughs) yeah right but we built up these skills (laughs) right yeah uh yeah that's weird so when you're writing music, Monica, do you think about the emotional response that it's going to evoke? Is that something that you're thinking about as you're writing? Oh, yeah. I mean, too too much so, maybe you know, maybe to a fault. <laughs> um, I'm pretty much usually, pretty much constantly thinking about the audience response. Um, because it is, I don't know, I don't really write music for myself. I do maybe other creative things for myself but I'm always trying to communicate something you know if, if I'm writing a song that I and I always pretty much always want someone to hear it if it's good eventually you know um mm-hmm. so it can be a little bit inhibiting um because you're you're worried if you're if you're doing it right you know they have the there's there's some f- saying about you know you're supposed to first 
be the inventor and then you're the critic and then you're the whatever. Um, You know, some people say that you're not really supposed to bring that kind of critical self-conscious lens into your creation process until like a little bit further down the road. And uh, that's something that I haven't really mastered yet. (laughs) (laughs) Like in little moments, it's, it's sort of a constant uh struggle it doesn't i'm not one of those people for whom it comes really easily you know like bob dylan is someone who could just like write a song you know in his youth he could do this like he could just his lyrics would just come to him and they would be really good (laughs) right away and then you have someone like leonard cohen who never had that skill throughout his whole life and he always had to really work hard um for every word in his songs and sort of chip away at them like a like a sculpture or something uh oh man he has a great quote it's something like um uh if you oh yeah here it is (laughs) (laughs) if you stick with a song long enough it will yield but long enough is beyond any reasonable duration. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. That's good. Which I relate to so much. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that's such like a, a continual debate about like how much inspiration goes into a creative process and how much, uh, how much hard work and deliberation goes into creative process. And it's like, Mm -hmm. what's the right answer? I don't think there will ever be one. I mean, but as a creative person, I'm always like, should I just wait until something comes? Like, maybe I'll just wait until something comes. <laughs> and like, that never happens. <laughs> so what do you do? Totally. Yeah. No, I've talked to so many people about this and I really do think it is an individual thing. Like I haven't, I found a couple people with whom I can relate, you know, about like my own, my artistic process and theirs like they're kind of similar but most people I talk to like the things that they do and try kind of don't work for me and I kind of know that you know um one thing that works for me is just kind of like writing into the pain you know like the, the pain of the process um feeling like something is uncomfortable and kind of like writing through it until you until you get somewhere and just like going 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 and then like eventually you find a kernel of something that feels right and then you start from there and build something around it you know um or if you have a particular emotion that you uh really want to convey somehow then kind of like writing into that pain um and then eventually hopefully you feel a little better at the at the end and then if you do feel better then you kind of know that you you got something um but but man i really do think that it depends on the person and like it's kind of a trial and error thing and it's so frustrating if you don't know what works yet or if like you're trying the things that typically work and nothing's working um something that you guys were saying in your in your pma uh podcast kind of resonated with me about this you know like writer's block i think tends to come when you're in more of a mental bad place which doesn't mean that you can't be creative when you're in those places and sometimes people create really great art when they are um but I think if you're feeling really insecure about your ability to 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 perform or or whatever that can really be a hindrance sometimes yeah definitely I agree and I think that like what you're talking about how some people say you should 
create a lot first and then revise later. Mm-hmm. I think maybe that's the, what they're going for mm-hmm. is to have less of that block of the creating process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. My stuff pretty much sucks until I edit it. Like that's also <laughs> something I've kind of learned. Like I just have to know that if it's, if something is bad now, like it doesn't mean that there is no potential there. So. Yeah. yeah. And I've always heard about the writing process that, I mean, you're going to edit more than, like, your original just writing of the draft and that you're never necessarily, like, you're not done revising ever. You're just done when you decide to be done. Like, you're not, like, you can always Mm -hmm. keep revising sort of thing, but Mm -hmm. it's more of just, like, a choice of when you're going to stop and that's when it's finished. Mm -hmm. Not really, like, I feel like I can't revise this anymore because it can always be revised. <laughs> which is which is right. Otherwise, you're Kanye West putting out the life of Pablo over and over and over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and on one hand, that, that feels so frustrating, but on the other hand, it's kind of liberating in a way that it's just like you can be done eventually. Like you can you can just decide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. No, that's such a, that's a really good way to think about it. Like. Uh, yeah, like who who gets to decide? It's never done, so you get to decide. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and knowing that other people whose work you admire also experience that, like, okay, they didn't work until it was totally perfect either. They worked until they decided to be done, so I can do that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Totally. Well, Monica, you mentioned the um, being in a mental place of insecurity about your abilities and I feel like that's something that is like my biggest obstacle whenever I'm trying to create anything I'm like well everyone else has done uh, really great things and I don't know how I could like <laughs> add to it and I don't really know if any of my stuff is any good like like uh, what has helped you I'm sure every artist has gone through that feeling so like what has aided you in reassuring yourself or overcoming that feeling I guess is there anything that you could speak to about that yeah man um well I think that like one thing is like I mean if if you can't if you if you sometimes you kind of just like feel like you know that something you've done is is bad because it doesn't feel right to you you know um if for me frequently if the moments when i have the most confidence in something that i've done is when um i like it personally feels like i can just kind of tell you know uh like i can i am myself moved when i'm like singing it or playing it you know like that's like a a good sign for me um so sometimes um kind of kind of trusting my own response in that way you know um but then i don't know it's i mean it's it's really it's really hard one thing that's helped me is like finding even just like one person who will tell you that you're doing a good job sure yeah yeah (laughs) Um, which like i wish i didn't need that but uh sometimes I do and um even if they're lying you know sometimes like you just need that external affirmation um Mm -hmm. oh yeah uh, if it gets you going you know to the point where you're creating something that like a lot of people will love or respond to then um 
then maybe that's then then great you know you just kind of need to keep going and like i think i really think that this is cliche but like failure is part of the process and like sucking is kind of part of the process and both in terms Mm -hmm. of you know we get better usually as we age and work on a skill but then also we go through periods and every day if you're if you're creating something every day you've probably created part of that probably was bad and part of it was probably good and so you have to just come to terms with the failure so there's like coming to terms with the failure and then like being able to recognize the, the failure like being able to separate it from the more successful parts and that I guess is editing you don't need to be able to do that necessarily in the moment um I don't man that is for sure the hardest <laughs> the hardest thing yeah, yeah I think it really does yeah. just get easier as you get older maybe I don't know yeah well I think also talking about how everyone goes through periods of failure like, like some of your stuff is going to be really good and some of it's not and when you're trying to emulate another person who you admire who's in the same creative field as yourself like you don't get to see their failures because like that's not published or whatever like you don't get to see their revisions or like their first drafts or anything and so I think there's this like false sense of I'm the only one who's like failed this badly or whatever mm-hmm. which is like completely mm-hmm. not true but like you don't get to witness other people's creative struggles like that I feel like that mm-hmm. that is so silent or like brushed over in the creative world I don't know that's so true man if only JK Rowling yeah. would release like supposedly she has like right like a hundred drafts of Harry Potter that she had to go through, like, <laughs> she should release those and give us all some peace of mind <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah totally. so we feel better <laughs> Yeah. Do you guys, have you heard of that, this quote by Ira Glass about the gap in taste in artists? I have not. No, no. He's talking about, so like, here, let me read this to you. I have it right here because I, I feel like this is relevant. So he says, what nobody tells people who are beginners, and I really wish someone had told this to me, is that all of us who do creative work, we get into it because we have good taste. But there's this gap. For the first couple years, you make stuff, and it's just not that good. It's trying to be good, it has potential, but it's not. But your taste, the thing that got you into the game, is still killer. And your taste is why your work disappoints you. A lot of people never get past this phase, they quit. Most people I know who do interesting creative work went through years of this. We know our work doesn't have the special thing that we want it to have. So he goes on a little bit more. So basically he's saying like, you just need to get through a volume of work that maybe you don't think is really good because like you just, your standards are really high, but you haven't had enough practice to be able to meet those standards. Yeah. You know what? I have heard that quote, actually. I remember being really angry at it. Uh, Really? Yeah. Because you know, it's like the idea that, um, it, it it made me feel a little bit fatalistic at the time. Like, wow, I just have to create something that I know is going to be bad. Like, there's no way it's going to be good. I you know I have to just get through X amount of stuff and then I can get to the good stuff. And I don't think that's mm-hmm. totally accurate. I do think there's for sure some truth to it. And then you have like 
genius is like well i don't know i mean bob dylan was actually songwriting uh for a long time before he put out his first album but um i don't know you people who are really young like lord or something you know like put out really good music when they're Mm -hmm. super young um so you do have those sort of um exceptional figures but even the rest of us i think you know even if i i I sort of feel like maybe it's more like you we can all create something good anytime i feel like we all have the potential to do that at any time even if it's an accident (laughs) like we can all do it (laughs) but then like as you get older or, or as you work on a skill you can refine it and you can be better more of the time or more successful more of the time you know so I don't think yeah um I don't know it's it's a like I feel like the way he says that is like a little simplistic or something yeah I no I like that you brought that up because I agree with you I like I really like this quote because I think it's sort of encouraging if you feel like you're making stuff that's not up to your standards but I also think that it's not it's not like this magic process that you just work really hard at this thing for 10 years and then after 10 years you're like everything you make is going to be amazing like I think it's the whole process you're going to make some stuff that's good and some stuff that's not so good when you start and then as you go on you're still making some stuff that's good and some stuff that's not so good but just hopefully more of it is good Yeah. yeah yeah and what I like about that quote I like how he talks about the idea of you got into this because you have good taste and like you have a like (laughs) genuine good intention and like genuine interest in what you're doing and so like that's gonna get you through because like you have something in the game that's gonna eventually produce something good and I like the idea that um I mean I feel like whenever I sit down to make something I'm like well, there's no point in making this if it's not going to be really awesome, which is a terrible mindset to be in because you don't know if it's going to be awesome. And so then you put this pressure on yourself and then you start and it's like, if it's any degree away from what you deem is amazing, you're just like, well, this is terrible. I'm going to quit sort of thing. And Mm -hmm. so I think like the idea that he's giving you permission to make not as great of things as you would like to and that eventually like it's gonna pay off sort of thing but yeah I agree that the it's slightly deterministic in the sense that it's like you just have to make a bunch of bad stuff and then it'll be good because Mm -hmm. that's not necessarily true yeah 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 I know I like what you I like what you clarified about that Mm mm-hmm yeah so do you have a specific, like, songwriting process, Monica? I know you said you, it sounds like you revise as you go along, and you're thinking about the yeah emotional response of the audience. Is there anything else you want to talk about your process? Sure. I think it's weird. <laughs> I don't think that <laughs> most people do it like this. I mean, I just... I'd say that because everyone I've ever spoken to, of all of them, none of them do it like this. So <laughs> You're unique and special. Uh, thanks. <laughs> That's a good way to put it, <laughs> I guess. Um, I think a lot of people start with the music um, uh, and kind of have, like, words come to them, or if they they maybe start with the words even. I, I start with a concept, though. Like, I start... Um, 
kind of thinking about the like what what is it that I'm trying to say ultimately like do I have like one sort of kernel here like or like one like sound bite or like or what's like the point you know um and usually it's like something that I'm feeling that I would like someone else to sort of also feel and so I try to get as specific about that as possible then I try to think about like an interesting narrative framework or like lyrical framework that could help someone get there that's different and is not something that you've like heard before you know and often I try to make it involve like surprises or something that like take someone by surprise so like maybe you think the song is one thing and then at the end like one or two lines switches it and hopefully that like you know gives you some sort of emotional response and then once I kind of like know where the whole thing is going it's almost like writing an outline for a paper in your head (laughs) and then Mm -hmm. I write the lyrics um and then I write the music and then well like the melody and then I add (laughs) the uh the instrumentals and and create instrumental parts and everything mm-hmm. so and the, the reason i do it that That's... way is just because i think it when i don't do it that way i feel like i create stuff that's less meaningful you know um it doesn't really accomplish what i end up wanting it to and i'm pretty like goal oriented with like the songs so I, I really want uh-huh. them to accomplish, like, a specific thing. So if I start with that, as opposed to, like, hoping that I get there, you know, it helps. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, like we were talking about earlier, sort of having, just, like, being inspired and doing stuff easily versus working at stuff, creative projects. I feel like my experience writing music has been more of the like, oh, I just get an inspiration and I write it down. Mm -hmm. But then the thing is, I have only ever finished like one song. Mm -hmm. So I feel like working at it more like you do is probably more productive. I don't know. I mean, at least sometimes. That's that's an interesting question. I I feel like whatever inspires you the most is the most productive is going to be the most productive whatever makes you want to go back to the drawing board you know so for me like the thing that appeals to me the most about music is that response is like the pure emotion of it like that's what i'm always wanting from it and uh what i'm hoping other people get from mine so like the idea of evoking that is what brings me to the table you know but like I, I don't know. I I can see how it would be different for other other people or um if you're sitting at the piano and like you hear some chord progression and you're like playing it and you're like, Oh, that's so cool, like now I'm inspired to write a song based off of that, like and if I don't know, it, it it's every way is valid, you know. Yeah, I agree. I think every way is valid too. I think I like I sometimes get frustrated when I I've had an inspiration for something, but then it doesn't, like, the inspiration doesn't continue, maybe. So I have this, like, really great idea, but it's, like, only a line long. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I I think for me to f- actually finish the song, I would need to go about it in a more methodical way, which, like, doesn't even occur to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's why it's really interesting for me to hear you talk about how you go about it. 
Yeah, but I wish I could do it like you do it. <laughs> but I don't finish anything. Right. Right. I feel like we both have something to learn from each other. <laughs> well, the thing I liked the most about what you were talking about with your process is how you like try to surprise people and how you think that is kind of your best shot at getting to create some sort of emotional response. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, that's just something that's so... I, that, that's like a concrete thing that you do and I think that's really interesting like that's a very interesting way of going about like creating a response within your audience thanks I, I, I feel like the easiest indication that like a song has kind of allowed people to detach is if it's predictable you know like if you're listening on the radio and like you're listening to a song for the first time and you can sing along like yeah, I feel like there's a good chance you don't care that much. Or, like, if... Yeah, if, if someone is speaking... This is my big issue with Adele, actually. I'm not a huge fan. I'm not super moved by her music, and I know a lot of people are. This is my problem. But, uh, like, lyrically, if you're just kind of using cliches, or if you're not getting sort of specific enough to give people, like, a new story to grab onto, or, like, a personal story to grab onto, if you're just kind of, like, throwing out things that, like you know i guess us like ostensibly everyone can relate to what she's saying because it's so vague you know but it's not surprising it's not new you know everyone talks about having that moment with songs where it's like oh wow i totally feel what they said but i would never have thought to put it like that you know it's like that's what you're always Mm -hmm. shooting for yeah definitely yeah that's really interesting i'm glad you said that because like now that you articulate that i feel like i feel it the exact same way hmm. awesome <laughs> that's great <laughs> yeah no i think yeah i think that's Super so cool weird. Like, <laughs> yeah the idea yeah. that like if your lyrics aren't specific enough like you can relate to them in a general way but like it's never gonna like speak to you in the same way that something that reiterates your thinking process is going to mm-hmm. yeah yes yeah yeah, yeah. I think I was talking to you about this, Monica, recently, about how I really like lyrics that are, like, kind of weird, and I don't know exactly what they're mm-hmm. talking about, but I do get that feeling. It does evoke an emotional mm-hmm. response, and I feel like I understand what they're feeling, mm-hmm. but, like, the lyrics are different enough that I don't really know exactly what's going on, maybe. Yeah, yeah some people are really good at that. Like, not everyone can pull that off. I think... Yeah. One example, maybe, is uh, Imogen Heap. Well, this is just coming to mind. You know her song, Hide and Seek? It's not, mm-hmm. like, the most clear-cut lyrics. Um, but, and it's, I mean, that's also totally aided by her voice and the, you know, um, suspended chords that she's singing. And so there are lots of other factors. But I feel like you can, a lot of people can find things in her song that they relate to even if but like someone else would hear it in a totally different way i remember Mm -hmm. someone telling me that one line in her song uh in her song hide and seek like trains and sewing machines or something i think we were talking about her our favorite line from that song and she picked that one out and i was totally floored like i don't even know what she means at that line and and this girl had this interpretation of it like i think what she's saying is that like she's really quirky 
like uh she has all these like quirky interests and like i really relate to that like i'm really quirky and i have all these quirky interests and i was like that's so not what i thought she was saying there like i thought this was a song about like war or like you know like some people say it's about like the holocaust like you know everyone gets something really different out of that song and uh and her lyrics are not vague but it's also not like a specific narrative that you can easily follow but it's something about like choosing words that are really evocative um but not just mm-hmm. for evocative sake like there's there's something you can grab onto um i don't know i'm not super great at, at that personally so i don't feel like i really understand it but some artists are really are definitely really good at that yeah that's interesting. yeah so monica you're working on a an ep right now is that <laughs> Is that out in the world yet? Is it almost out? It is not. Um, I don't know if any of it's going to accomplish all of the theoretical goals that I've just outlined. Um, you know, are well. I like what I've heard of it so Thanks. far. Yeah, so Maria plays I'm violin. I'm excited to listen to it. On, uh, one of the songs. Yeah, that was fun. So yeah, I'll, I'm. That should hopefully be done in like a week. I guess. Um, I feel weird plugging it, but uh, if you do want to look it up, it'll be at um, Monica Hunter Hart. No, you should definitely plug it. All right, yeah, Monica Hunter Hart. So where is it? I just interrupted it's you. A, it's a Bandcamp <laughs> um, profile <laughs> again. Um, so I, I think it's just Monica Hunter But if you look up my name on Bandcamp, it will also be there. So yeah, we'll put a link yeah. to it in the show notes yeah, for this oh, episode man. too. <laughs> If anyone wants to check it out, I'll be like, yeah, that's where all 10 views came from. Like, it was just all the people from her podcast. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, when you have a a first EP, too, is that still up there? It is. I, um, yeah, I don't, I'm going to choose not to be self deprecating about it. I do feel like I write differently now, but it is what it is. And Uh we all grow and change, and it's still up. So I'm going to leave it up. (laughs) Yeah. I like that first one, too. I remember I especially liked the last song. Oh, thank you. So if anyone goes and check it out, you should listen to the last song, especially, because it's really good. Thank you. And all of it. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Is there anywhere else on the internet, if our listeners wanted to get in touch with you, if they were, like, really into your music stuff that you've been talking about, or want to follow you is there anywhere that they can find you on the internet on social media yeah you can email me anytime at uh mhunterheart at gmail.com i should say that's h-u-n-t-e-r-h-a-r-t uh or yeah message me on twitter or whatever um i am also mhunterheart on there i believe uh so nice tell me if you're yeah if you have a yeah question about journalism or have any sort of thing you need help with musically any sort of thing that we've talked about or if you want advice on turkish music if you want some recommendations <laughs> you know, yes, let me know definitely. <laughs> yeah all right we have just a couple of wrap-up questions for you before we end cool so first, do you have any recommendations of anything that you've been really into recently? Maybe a book or a movie or food, place, music, anything? Mm-hmm. Something you've been really loving recently? Yeah, you know, I guess we should probably just continue the music thing since that's what we're talking about. <laughs> so 
I have to just kind of eternally recommend that people listen to Anais Mitchell. She's one of the people that I always think about, try to emulate when I'm thinking about how to like make these abstract ideals into real concrete songs. <laughs> you know, like what did she do? How did she do it? So yeah, Anais Mitchell, you should listen to her album, Young Man in America and The Brightness. They're masterpieces. <laughs> Very nice. cool. Yeah, thank you. Sure. And our last question for you is that, so our kind of philosophy at Never Wear Boring Socks is that we try to make the most of our everyday experiences by maximizing enjoyable moments and thinking of what we can do to make our lives more enjoyable in simple ways. For us, an example is wearing exciting socks instead of boring mm. socks so does this idea resonate with you and how are how have you applied it in your life yeah of course it resonates with me i mean that's it's a great thing to think about it i wish i did it more um i think yeah i think um <laughs> like i'll just keep going with the music train so uh i really Please like do. to <laughs> listen to something interesting when i'm doing something not interesting you know so if i'm walking to the subway i would rather be like kind of dancing to the subway while listening to like a jam <laughs> you know like that'd be more fun <laughs> um or you know washing dishes or whatever um or podcasts or whatever i think my life like noticeably improved when i started kind of using little spare moments of time when i would maybe yeah be you know like stressing about something i was about to go do or like thinking about all the things i had to do tonight or whatever and instead um like using that time to be listening to something that makes you happy um in those moments where you're in transit or you can't easily be doing other things um that's like one of the ways that i think has improved my mood in like a really simple with a really simple fix for sure nice. i like that i like the dancing to the subway <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> yeah Life would be so much more interesting if nice. when we were on a subway, we just all had a dance party. I really agree. Exactly. I really do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so for our listeners, uh, we would love to hear from you. If there's anything in particular that resonated with you from this episode, get in touch with us on Instagram or Twitter or send us an email. That's your homework for this week. Yes, we would love to hear from you. You've been listening to Never Wear Boring Socks. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. And for next week, we have not selected a topic yet, so it will be a surprise topic. So get excited for next week's episode. <laughs> and if you like this episode, please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. And share this episode with a friend who might enjoy it. And also leave us a review. We'd love to hear your thoughts. 
You can find show notes for this episode at mariacatherine.com slash podcast slash 005. And Catherine is spelled K-A-T-H-A-R-I-N-E. And if you want to get in touch with us, like we were just talking about, you can email neverwearboringsocks at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Never Wear Boring Socks and on Twitter at No Boring Socks. For thank yous this week, we want to give a huge thank you to Monica for joining us. This has been really wonderful. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Of course. And as always, we want to thank our audio editor, Ben Ramsey, the Cheese Beast, and Martha Barnard, our Twitter supervisor. And thank you to both of them for help with our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening this week. We will talk to you next week with our surprise topic episode. And in the meantime, never wear boring socks. <laughs>